All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And so uh, if you have your lesson, you have your pen ready, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And whenever you find that, go ahead and stand. Now, our lesson says 17 through 32. Don't worry, we're not going to read every one of those verses. But we do want to start and end with the Word of God this morning, don't we? That's where we're at. Now, we are in a lesson series, and a man did write a book called Changing to His Image. I would, again, highly recommend that you, if you don't have that book, that you would get it and read it on your own time. He goes into what we talk about a lot more in, more in detail. But what makes his book a good book is that he is just explaining the Bible. It's like reading a sermon, right? He's not it's on his own ideas. And so we need to start and end with the Word of God. We don't want to start with a man's idea and then find it in Scripture. That's not what Jim Berg did. He started and ended with the Word of God. That's what we're going to do this morning. And so I'm excited about that. So let's go ahead and look at verse number 17. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their what? Mind. You know, this all starts in our mind. And we said this maybe two, two lessons ago, that revival happens this way. First of all, in our mind, then that affects our emotion, and that affects our will. Make sense? It's intellectual first. We have to, underst we have to understand it in our minds. And then the truth that we understand will produce an emotion. And then we have a choice whether or not to follow through with our decisions. Too often, quote-unquote revivals start emotionally, and they feel like they have no volition, no, they, they can't control it. I'm just, the Holy Spirit picked me up, and I just couldn't help it, and I came to... That is not how God works. God doesn't force anybody to do anything. What God does is He convinces he convicts, and then it's our choice. But it always starts in our mind. And so don't be like the Gentiles who walk in the vanity of their mind, who think the way the world thinks. Now look at verse 18. Here's the, the other Gentiles, the unconverted, that don't have the Spirit of God. Here's how they think, verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Why? Because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over until lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is the life of a man who doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God in them. And it's not like they've necessarily chosen this, although there's decisions that they make, but they're blind. They don't know the truth. They don't have an option of following God or not before they're saved. There's no Holy Spirit of God within them. They just have to choose which aspect of their flesh they're going to follow that's who we all were before we were saved. We, we could not serve God before we were saved. Our, our, we were darkened. That's why Paul can say, there is none good. No, not one. Without God, we can't do right. But here's what he says in verse 20. But ye have not so, what's that, that word? Learned. Again, an intellectual thing that God does in your mind after you're saved. And what he does, as we learned last week, is he illumines. He, he makes it he illuminates. He helps us to understand in our mind the Word of God. And then here's what happens. Um, let's see. Verse 22. 
No, we've got to do verse 21. We won't read all, all the verses, I promise. But if so be that ye have heard him, and have been what again? Taught by him as the what? Truth. These are, these are things in our mind. He's teaching us truths. If you've really learned these things, is in Jesus, verse 22, that ye put off. That ye put off. Now that's an action, isn't it? Concerning the former conversation, conversations, your lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. So he says, if you've really learned, then what needs to start happening is you need to start changing what you do. If you've really learned in your mind, then you start, need to start letting that change what you do. And he says again in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. We need to change our mind, as we learned last week. But it's not enough just to change our mind. We need to start allowing that to change, to change what we're doing. Okay? Let's pray. We'll get into it. Thanks for standing. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how clear it is. Help us, God, to, to pay attention to our minds. God, not so much. Lord, we're so good about, at times, tracking our feelings and how we feel today and what our body is telling us and all of that. And there's a place for that. But help us, Lord, be primarily concerned with what we're thinking about, or what's going on in our mind. That's where the battle starts and really ends. Help us, God, to allow you to take control of our mind, take control of how we think, how we, how we Lord, uh, think about this world and process information and make decisions. And then, God, help that to affect how we live. I pray that you bless our time together this morning. Christ in my pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're learning about wisdom. Last time we learned about searching for wisdom. Remember we said wisdom's the principal thing. Wisdom is how you think. Wisdom is thinking biblically. That's what wisdom is. Uh, you can say it like this. Godly thinking. You can say it like this. Christ-like thinking. The mind of Christ. What again? The, the what again? The mind of of Christ. You could say it like this, spiritual thinking, because those are all the same, aren't they? Godly, Christ-like, and spiritual are the same. They're all God. We need to think the way God thinks. And when you do that, your mind is godly, Christ-like, and spiritual. And that's wisdom. We want to think the way God thinks. And we don't do it on our own. If we're thinking with our reasoning and our natural uh, reasoning abilities and what we've grown up learning, then what we're not going to come up with is what God says and what, in the way God thinks. We don't think the way God thinks. So what we need to do very first is recognize that, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Do you see an absence of emotion and feeling in all this? I hope you see that. Because we need to kind of erase, not erase that, but separate the emotion and feeling part and start with our minds and then allow that to affect our emotions and our feelings. And so his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we have to understand that and, and admit that, that our thoughts are not good. <laughs> and we need to deny what we think and begin to think the way God thinks. And this starts with a desire for that, right? A desire. That's why Solomon told his son, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. There's nothing more important in your life than wisdom. There's no, there should be nothing that takes precedent over something that is going to help you think the way God thinks. Well, where can you get that? Well, there's really only one place where we can learn how to think the way God thinks. 
is in the Word of God. He's given us his mind. Uh, my, my pastor that I grew up with in Phoenix, he would say this, this is God's left ear, and this is God's right ear, and everything he thinks is in between. I love it. And this is the mind of Christ right here. This is the way God wants us to think. And, we, and there is nowhere else in our world that is going to help you think godly unless they're pointing you to Scripture. We're reading a book, Brother Chad, what's the deal? Well, I, I told you that he's pointing you to what? To Scripture. We, the only way to think properly is to, is to look into the Word of God. Okay? And so we need, to, we need to desire that. We need to be in, our, in the Bible every day. Because it, need, it needs to change, it needs to renew our mind. We need to sit under the preaching of the Word of God so that the man of God who studied can engage with you with the Scripture. And we can see what the Scripture says and reason out the Scripture and change what we think and line it up with what the Scripture says. You see? We need that. We need to have a desire for that. That needs to be very important to us. There should be nothing more important than that. Okay. That's why Paul said, despise not prophesying. His prophesying is the declaration of the Word of God, and this is how we need to think. And we need more of that, not less of that, right? Okay. So we need to want to change how we think. And that's what we looked at in our introduction. Last week's lesson, we looked at the first master discipline of wisdom, which is hearing. That's the blank, hearing. We need to hear it. Remember Jesus said that those who hear, let him hear. Remember he talked about the parable of the sower and the seed. And if someone does not hear the word of God and understand it, and, and live it out, it's not because of the sower. The sower is God. He, he's given us his word. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The word of God is pure and the, most, the highest quality of seeds. Always, if someone is not, under, is not taking in and truly hearing and living out the word of God, it always has to do with the condition of the soil and our heart. We need to, in our heart, desire to hear and do the Word of God. And so, uh, wisdom and the disciplines of wisdom are represented in this chart below. See that chart, remember that from last week? And we learned that hearing consists of two basic disciplines of attention and meditation. That's your blanks. They're also right there in that chart. So the chart shows us this. The, the top line, the top horizontal line that goes this way, the goal is wisdom. That's what we want. We want to live wisely. We want to live the way God wants us to live, to line our life up with the Word of God. I hope that's your goal. That's where it starts. If that's your goal, here's what you do. The master disciplines are these. Hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. If you want to live the life God wants you to live, it involves hearing from God and then doing what God tells you to do. But you need to hear it before you do it. Right? You can't do something that you don't know what it is. So first you have to hear it, truly. Not just, not just that it enters your ears, but that you're receptive soil. And you're ready to change. And you hear. And that involves attention and meditation. That involves actually hearing it and paying attention as it's being said. And meditation means uh, thinking on it. And letting it, letting it truly change the way you think. That's hearing. Okay. And then... The second is doing. And so in our notes up there, are you giving God your attention? Are you meditating on his word? That's really where it starts. 
And then Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount that doing, that's the blank, doing is the second master discipline. Again, these are not two things that Jim Berg made up. These are what Jesus said. He that hears my words and, do, and doeth them, right? This is what Jesus says is involved in the life of walking in wisdom. And doing is that second for those who would be wise. And so doing, then, can be divided into two basic disciplines of obedience and endurance. Now, that's the blanks, and again, they're written in our chart. Obedience and endurance. And those two things will be the subject of our lesson today. How are we doing? Trying to get you all caught up to speed. Hope it wasn't too much for you. If it is, just kind of look at the chart later, okay? But now let's move forward. And so by the end of this lesson, you should be able to do these things. One, explain the role of the Holy Spirit in your obedience to God. You need the Holy Spirit's help if you're going to obey God. Next, understand the, that biblical obedience is not compliance with a rule, but a submissive response to a person. It's really important. I want to get ahead of myself. Third one, understand that biblical endurance is fueled by a relationship with God. And then explain how hearing and doing are the hallmarks of mature Christianity. That's what we're going to deal with today. Okay? All right, everybody with me so far? All right. Number one, the master discipline of doing. That's the blank again. Doing. Uh, doing versus being. Uh, Berg talks a lot about this, which I'm thankful, and I'll try to, my best to give it to you quickly. But he says this, Christianity is essentially a relationship with God, not a system of rules. That's the blank. We can't just, we can't just mechanically do rules and follow rules and think we're, we're having a relationship with God. That's not how it works. Um, I'm going to quickly do this, but we need to, we don't just need to do loving things toward people. We need to be a loving person. Make sense? We don't need to do things that look like we're trustworthy. We need to be a trustworthy person. We don't need to do nice things for people. We need to be kind. This is how the Bible instructs us. We need to be Christian. Not just do Christian things. We need to, we need to truly have a walk with God. Not just do what He says and, and because we have to. No, we have, here's how it works. We have a love for God, the person. He's real. He's an actual person. We're not just worshiping a set of rules. People do that. It's called ritualism. It's called traditionalism. You see? And they just have a list of rules, and they, in a sense, worship the rules. No. The rules are very, very important. Don't get me wrong. We're not going to do away with the rules. The Ten Commandments and the commandments of God and, and, the, and the commands of Scripture are extremely important. But they're important. Why? Because what we want, fundamentally, is a relationship with our God, who's real. And He wants that. He wants fellowship. He wants relationship. And if we're going to be in a relationship with God, then we're going to have to do things. And really, it's like this. Because we are in a relationship with God, then we do. Make sense? We don't do 
so that God loves us and we have a good walk with Him. Wrong. We have a good walk with Him and He loves us and He, and he, he likes us. He has good thoughts toward us, even though we're dirtbags. Amen? Dirtbag Baptist Church. I'm really looking forward to that, you know. Think of, just look at the cool logo. There's like a clip art of a, dirt ba- of a, of a bag with dirt in it. Anyway, but we're all dirtbags. And God knows that. We're not, we're not impressing Him. The best we have to offer is filthy rags. And God loves us anyways. And so in our hearts, we understand that and we repent. And we know that we don't deserve that. And these are all things that happen in our heart, right? And by faith we know that we can have a relationship with God, not because of anything we have to offer, but because of Jesus, right? That's how salvation works. If we have, we have faith in what Christ did, and because of what He did, we have relationship. And then from that relationship we have, we do. But so many quote-unquote Christianity doctrines out there say, you need to do these things, and if you do these things, then you have relationship. If you get baptized, if you come, if you attend church services on a regular basis, if you give tithe, if you take a confirmation test, if you do all these things, then, then maybe you could have a relationship with God backwards. And it's pagan religion with Jesus' name on it. That's not, that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says repentance of heart and faith in Christ and what he did causes relationship with him. And then because of our love, and because we're blown away that an almighty, holy God loves us, He deserves that we serve Him. That's biblical Christianity. You see. And so we don't serve the rules. The rules are there because we're serving the person who is God, who died for you. Doing good? Okay. Alright. So, at the same time, it should be clear to us that every relationship produces its own rules. And so the rules need to be within the confines of an already re- existing relationship. You doing good? Okay. Let it be. Being controlled by the Spirit, that's the blank, being controlled by the Spirit is the key to obedience. Okay, so I love the Lord and I want to serve Him. How do I do it? Well, it's, it's through being controlled by the Spirit. Uh, the indwelling, that's the blank, the indwelling of the Spirit, which is the birthright of every believer, should not be confused with the control of the Spirit, which is conditional. Okay, so what are you talking about? So when you're born spiritually, right? Remember how Jesus said you must be born again? And you're born spiritually, have a new life? Here's what that means. That means the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. When you get saved, the Spirit of God, who is God, is not some kind of weird mystical force. He is God who lives in you. And every Christian has the Spirit of God indwelling him. Indwelling means he's living in you. Dwell. God dwells in you. Okay? Every Christian has that. And that's not a condition. There's no conditions attached. The only condition is that you're saved. That's it. It's all because of what he did. And so we have that relationship established. But then, just because, listen, just because we have relationship with God doesn't mean we have fellowship with God. And that is the conditional part. That is the control. Because, again, because we have relationship, now we make a choice, because God loves us, to allow Him to control our life. That's being filled with the Spirit. You see? That is our, that is our choice. 
We can choose to not allow God to control our life. We can choose to control our own, own life. And by the way, when we think we're controlling our own life, we're not. We're just letting the devil control our life. And the, and the demon, demonic work out there in our own flesh, which is dirty, rotten. And we're not, we're just, we're just being, a, we're just picking up our, our old master. None of us are our, our own master. We have, a, we have one of two masters. And it's the good master or it's the evil one. And, and we don't have to serve that anymore. That master's gone. Read Romans 6. We don't, we do not, we are not obligated to serve our old, our old flesh. We don't have to. We have a choice now to serve God, who is a patient master, who will not force you to serve him. And he will allow you, God will allow you, to serve your old master. And you get to choose that. You get to choose that. Yeah. You can't make that choice before you're saved. Before you're saved, your, your hearts are darkened. Before you're saved, you only have one master. And it just depends on how you serve him. But when you're saved, you get a choice. Your choice. And so the phrase filled with the Spirit conveys the idea of being controlled by the Spirit. And that's what it says in Ephesians 5.18, and be ye filled with the Spirit. And so notice how we use that phrase in other settings. If a person is filled with rage, we are saying that rage is controlling his what? His actions and his words. Really, where does it start? In his mind. And he allows the anger to fuel his thinking, and then that is what affects what he does and what he says. Filled with fear. If someone's filled with fear, again, that's a mind thing, isn't it? And they're allowing, and they're and they're they're just inundated with fear, and they're letting fear control how they think, and then because they're letting fear control how they think, fear also controls what they do and what they say. Good? Fear, filled with lust. People allow lust to control their thinking. Now that can be a, an inappropriate lust that you know you all know what I'm talking about, but it's really more fundamental than that. It's just desires, desires we shouldn't have. It could be a covetous thing. I don't have what I want, and so that covetous, that lust, that desire controls our thinking, and then we that controls what we do to get what we want. You see, what we need to do is be filled with. The Spirit. And so in that same idea is we let the Spirit control what we, how we think. And then because of that, the Spirit then controls what we do, and the Spirit then controls what we say. Sound good? Yes. The second one? Control. Control. And so we need to let the Holy Spirit control us. And how would we do that? We just let him, let him change how we think. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's two ways. Here's, he, he told us what he thinks. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He points to the Son, who is the Word. And so here's what the Spirit thinks. We read the Word of God. And then we, we make a decision to surrender to his control and to put away our thinking and submit to biblical spiritual thinking. Okay? That's how we do. Yeah. And he lives within us. And if we do that, then God, who lives in us, can help us understand biblical truth. 
but it starts. I think a lot of us think we're just not very smart, but I, I think that in, fundamentally it's that we haven't truly allowed God to control our thinking. You see, if you're saved, God lives in you, and he wants to help you. He wants to help you. Yeah. Okay. And so the Spirit of God is at work to produce the desire and ability to obey God. That's what Philippians 2.13 says. If we submit to the Word of God and we submit to the Spirit of God, then He will give us a desire to serve God. He will give us an ability to serve God. We just have to get over ourselves first, you see, and let Him work. And this divine help from God is called grace. Grace. We don't deserve it, but He wants to do it. We can't do it, but He wants to do it. Okay? So we need God's help if we're going to do this. All right. Number two, the basic discipline of obedience, which I should have made you write that word down. But you're welcome. It's a big word. Obedience. Biblical obedience is not just compliance to some abstract law or rule. We already kind of dealt with this, kind of went on a rampage about that, but it, it's so true. It helps. It's a, it, we have to change our thinking on this. It is, biblical obedience is, the submissive response. Now I gave you two big words to write down, okay? The submissive response to the person, and that should be capital P, the person of the Holy Spirit who has revealed the will of God to us through his word. What does it say in First Peter? That the, the word of God is not given to us by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The, what, what we hold in our hands, what you have in your lap, is the Word of God, the Word of the Holy Spirit who inspired men to write. Can I just say that it's, it's disrespectful to the Holy Spirit to demand that He tell us more? Like, pour out, you know, and, and the, the Pentecostal charismatic movement is way off on how the Holy Spirit works. He's already revealed to us his word. He's already told us what he was going to tell us. It's done. He inspired men to tell us what he thinks. We don't need to roll around on the ground and, and jump around and hoop and holler and, and hope that he tells us more. We have enough right here. Now, he'll prompt and he'll guide and he'll direct, but not because of new revelation. He guides and directs, and he applies what he already said personally to your life. So he applies it. Does that make sense? But he doesn't give us more revelation. He's already done that. How are we doing? Yeah. All right. So he's given us his revealed will in the Word of God. And as we submit to, to him, that person, he gave us the Word of God. Okay. Letter B. A love relationship. That's the blank. A love relationship is at the heart of obedience. I don't know who Ken Collier is, but he said this. We will always please the one we love the most. Is that true? Always. Whoever you have chosen that you love the most, you want to please them. And you know, you can take that and go backwards with that thinking. And the one that you're pleasing the most, then, is the one you're, what, loving the most. 
who you choose to please first is the one you love the most. You doing all right? You love your wife, men, and women, you don't have wives, okay? But men, if you love your wife, then you want to first please her. Then you. Right? The same is true in every relationship. But if you choose to please yourself first, then your wife, well, then who do you love more? You. How are we doing? Well, we are always, in our, in our lesson here, we are either obeying our flesh and pleasing ourselves, or obeying the Holy Spirit and pleasing God. Only one of those two things. No, I can do both. No, you really can't. Galatians 5 says that the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another. They're, they're enmity. They, they strive where you cannot do that which you would. Well, what does that mean? That means you're trying to you're trying to serve the spirit, but you have been so focused on obeying the flesh. And Paul says this: you can't please both. You can't. And so you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to please yourself, or are you going to please God? Here's a paradox: if you choose to please God first, you're going to end up being way happier. <laughs> Yep. But you're going to have to make a choice that you don't matter. That's why Jesus said, didn't he? Those who will keep his life will lose it. Right? Keep your life. I'm not going to do God's life. I'm going to do it. Okay. You can do that. But you're really going to lose the life that God intended for you to have. The life that you were created for. The life that brings fulfillment and joy. You won't have that life. But he says those who will lose their life will find it. You're willing to give up what you think you want so bad and surrender to him, you'll find true life. You see, that's how it works. And so, we're either pleasing ourselves or we're pleasing God. Okay? Let us see. We will always reserve the best, that's the blank, we will always reserve the best for the one we love the most. A self-centered child picks for himself the biggest piece of cake, right? Or the best place in line. By the way, childishness is fundamentally selfishness. And there's so many childish adults, sadly, that just make it all about them. Anyway. So self, the self-centered child picks for himself the biggest piece of cake or the best place in line. Israelites offered up to God their crippled lambs. Go to Malachi 1, not right now, but mm, God was not happy about this. Israel, Israel offered their crippled lambs to God because they're more focused on themselves than a loving relationship with God. They brought God the lambs they didn't really want. They brought God the leftovers. Here's what they said. Well, I'm going to do what I want, and if i got nothing better to do, or I've got nothing better to do with this lamb, then I'll bring it to God. Not, not okay, God said. And a lot of us live that way, don't we? If I've got nothing better to do, then I'll serve God. 
if I, I've got already, I've already got my agenda, and if what God wants fits there, I'll do it. If it doesn't, it's just going to have to go. And we bring our crippled lambs to God. And God demands the clean, the best lamb, without blemish. He demands the first fruits. Why? God, why do you demand so much? Well, he is God. <laughs> I think if anyone has the right to demand the best, it's God. But here's why he demands the best. Because he wants for you to love him most. And if you love him most, you give him the best. And if you love you most, you give yourself the best. And if you love your family the most, you give them the best. But you need to give God the best and then allow God to do the rest. Hey, that rhymes. But we give God the best. Why? Because we love him most. And if you, listen, I'm just telling you a, a truth. If you're not giving him the best, you don't love him the most. Who are you giving the best to? You love them the most. And I'm glad that you love them, but you got to love God the most. Don't bring your crippled lambs to God. Okay? All right. All right. By the way, when I ask you if you're doing good, it's not if you agree with it or not. It's if you understand it or not. Because we're going to go ahead and say what God says. But, but that's what he said. God was not happy with that. And they thought they were doing really good because they brought lambs. And we didn't bring lambs. Yeah, but you brought the leftovers. And God's not interested in your leftovers. I love leftovers. Yeah, thank you. Something magical happened in the fridge, you know? Especially with, like, chili or, or like, spaghetti. God doesn't want your leftovers, okay? Yeah. Obedience, then, is a reflection of the heart. It is an act of love to someone, not just compliance to a rule. By the way, there are other times in the Old Testament where they did bring their best, but they sure didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. And God said, you're, you're here in my house, and you're bringing your best, but your heart's not in it. And God knows our heart. God knows when, we're, when we don't really want to, but we're doing it because God made us. Because he's really big. And if we don't, no, you're missing it. You're totally missing it. You need to, in your heart, love God the most. Don't just do things that people who love God do. Stop it. Love God most. It's your decision. But God is not interested in you pretending to love him. God wants your best because he wants you to love him most. And it's weird that I have to even say this, but he deserves that. He's God. He loved you enough that he died for you. I think he deserves our best. God didn't give us his leftovers. God gave us his only son. And he deserves our best. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on. Number three, <laughs> the basic discipline of endurance, of endurance. Berg said this, endurance is continued obedience to God even under pressure, even under pressure. It is obedience of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. This is what they did. They obeyed God even under pressure. Some of them even were beheaded. He says they were sawn asunder. Oh. And they still obeyed. And so their endurance, sustained obedience under pressure, was fueled 
by a sustained look at their God and at things eternal. That was a loaded sentence. I'm going to read that again nice and slow. Their endurance, which is sustained obedience under pressure. That's what it is. We need to obey, but we need to always obey even when it's hard, right? It was fueled by a sustained look at their God and at things eternal. So again, it started with their love for God, and that produced obedience, and it produced endurance, meaning because they loved God more than anything, they obeyed Him even when it was hard to obey Him. And that needs to characterize our Christian life. Christ-like endurance is submission to the one who loved us most. You hear that? The one who loved us most. That's crazy. You know, we find it hard to love him most, and he deserves it. But God, for whatever reason, chose to love us most, who abundantly don't deserve it. See? Are you seeing that? God does not encourage us to endure by telling us something good about ourselves. That's the blank. Just keep after it. You got this. God never says you got this. God never says, oh, you, you just need to believe in yourself. Yeah. You just try hard enough, you put your mind to it, and you can do it. God doesn't talk to us that way. Nope. Rather, he fosters endurance by reminding us of his own goodness. You're not enough, God says, but I am. You can't do it, but I can. You don't got this, but I do. That's what God says. And that is what helps the Christian live the Christian life. Yeah. And keep living that life, even when it's difficult. Yeah. Number four. Obedience and endurance give evidence to Christ-like maturity. That's the blank. Christ-like maturity. Jesus gave us the pattern of a servant. That's the blank. The pattern of a servant. Like I said this before, but childishness is when it's, you're self-centered. Maturity is whenever you're a servant. Um, do you remember when Jesus washed his disciples' feet? Aren't you thankful we don't do that? Like as an ordinance, there are people who do. I don't really want to do that. But if God told us, we would. But he didn't, God, Jesus didn't intend for us to wash each other's feet physically and have wash basins all over the church. That's not. But here's what he did. Jesus knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. And that blew their mind. Why? Because in that day, they wore sandals, and their feet got gross, and they'd come in, and here's what would happen. If you were in a nicer house with servants, the lowest servant, his job was to be at the door and wash feet of the guest. That's his. The lowest servant did that. That's not a fun job. Probably had like yellow fingernails. Nasty. Anyway, that was reserved for the low. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was reserved for the lowest servant, and Jesus washed his disciples' feet. 
And Peter said, what did he say? No, don't wash my feet. I'm supposed to wash your feet. Well, he didn't, but he said, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, no, you need to let me wash your feet. If you want to be like me, you need to let me wash your feet. So then Peter's like, well, wash my whole body then. No, stop. I just need to wash your feet. Because what I'm helping you see is that my way, Jesus says, is a way of service where I humble myself and I, be, I let myself be uncomfortable. I do things I don't really like to do because I love you and I'm going to serve you. And he served every one of them. And in their mind, no, the, the one with the most authority does the least amount of service. Jesus says, not in my world. The one with the most authority serves the most. And servants are the ones who are leaders in the Christian realm. You're not, you're not going to be a good Christian leader until you're first a Christian servant. And Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. And a mature Christian puts themselves in places where they're uncomfortable because they want to serve others and because they give their best to others because they love others more than themselves. Why do they love others more than themselves? Because they love God most. You ever heard the word J-O-Y, joy? Here's how you get joy. Jesus, others, you. You want to have real joy? You put Jesus first, then others, then you. So many people are crabby and cranky, and it's because they keep trying to make themselves happy, and, at the, and then nobody else happy. And they think they're going to be happy, but they're not. They're cranky. And, and what will mark the cranky person, you just look at them, they're mostly just out for themselves. And they think they're, and they're trying to find happiness. But joy only comes when you put Jesus first, then others, then you. That's what Jesus said. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what he said for us to do. So Jesus gave us the pattern of a servant. And like Jesus, we're to be responsive to the needs of others. Others. The scriptures always say, also say, that they'll, they'll know you, that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. Yeah. You need to be responsive to the needs of each other. You need to pay attention to each other and, and find out what people are struggling with and get involved in each other's lives and love each other that way. Like Jesus, we're to be responsive to the will of the Father. That's where it all starts, right? And I said earlier, you know, if you, if you love, if you uh, put your family first, then you love them most, right? Remember something like that? If you, you give your best to your family, and you might be like, what? No, I need to love my family most. Yeah, well, when you love the Father the most, then what he will cause you to do is love your family. You see? And your family will still be way above you. In fact, if you put God first, then you're going to be way below your family. You see? We put God first, and we give him our best. And when we do that, we'll be a better father, we'll be a better son, we'll be a better brother, we'll be a better mom, a better wife, a better sister, because we'll be being what God wants us to be in those roles. So a few things will be done. Number one, an application section. Cultivate sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. What does that mean? What's the Holy Spirit's conviction? That's not some fuzzy, weird feeling. The Holy Spirit's main job is to convict you. Well, how does he do that? Well, through his word. 
And so as you are finding out that your life does not line up with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. That Holy Spirit conviction. Not warm fuzzies. He doesn't really just guide and direct that way. Even, even when, now I do believe this, that the Holy Spirit will prompt you to go talk to somebody. That probably has happened to you. I hope it has, has me. Most of the time that's because we're, God told us to tell people and maybe we've said we don't want to talk to that person, but God says we're supposed to. And here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit's convicting. And he's trying to show you in your life where it doesn't line up with Scripture. He's sensitive to that. Now, this, isn't, this is not anxi- like, uh, insecure, anxiety things. This is, this is clear direction and conviction from the Word of God that your life is not lined up with. That's Holy Spirit conviction. You see? So sometimes, it's not this. It's not like, oh, I forgot to turn off the oven. You ever had that feeling? Oh man, I forgot to turn on the, off the oven. God told me to turn off the oven. Well, careful, because I've, I've, I have felt that way, and I got home and the oven was turned off. <laughs> That's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. But he brings conviction to line you up with his word. You see? Yeah. Now thankfully, sometimes I am reminded that the oven's on and it is. So let's, let's be careful what we say is God and what's not, okay? But anyway, all right, Holy Spirit conviction. Line your life up with God's Word. Let it be, ask God for help to obey and endure. You need God's help. If you're going to obey God's Word and keep obeying it when it's hard, you need God's help. And let us see, follow Christ by taking up the towel of servanthood. Serve each other. Jesus, others, you. That's Christian life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit who works in us. Thank you that he helps us, that you help us through your Holy Spirit to understand and apply your word to our life. But God, it takes, as you said, us to surrender, us to be willing. Really, that's the key that we're willing to allow you to work, and truly, God, we're willing to set ourselves aside and follow you and give our best to you because you love us so much, even though we don't deserve it. Thank you. Could you help us during this time of invitation? Lord, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.